Let's pray. God, we, um, we read these verses. And they scare us, frankly. Um, they should. God, we, we humbly come before you this morning. And we ask that you would um, make us uncomfortable. And cause us to come under your authority, Father. Um, help us to see the gift that you have for us in this relationship. You want the best for us. And so we ask, Father, that this morning that you would um, give us clarity of mind. Give us honesty of our hearts. Give us repentance. God, I ask that you would allow me to speak with compassion. And may your love and mercy and grace be present here with us, we pray. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. These are not easy verses. <laughs> and if they're easy verses for you, that should be even more dangerous. <laughs> um, we've, we've, we ended up doing Family Sunday, or not Family Sunday, we canceled Family Sunday because the, the topics we're going to be discussing are, are pretty sensitive. So um, if you didn't get that word and you feel like your, your kids probably shouldn't hear expounding on what Melissa just read, please, you know, like, there's, yeah, I don't know, there's other places to go, there's coffee back there or whatnot, but, um, here, here's the most dangerous piece, and, and I've, I've been asking for the staff and the leadership to be praying this week for this sermon because it is a fine line that we walk, not one where we are trying to balance and, and play both sides, but knowing that delivering the good news, delivering the gospel, delivering, delivering the truth of God in a callous and cold manner is probably worse than delivering it at all, or than not delivering it at all. We can be obstacles to what we just read in, in how we communicate these things. And God spends all of this to communicate to us, and we boil it down to often quick, snippy sentences and posts and junk like that. And we go, where's the full spectrum of God's existence and creation and purpose and will and grace? And so I hope that this morning, that as, as I go through this, that the speed at which I go through it does not... I hope, does not convey any sort of flippant attitude um, towards these topics. These are deep topics. And we'll just, I mean, we can just start. We'll, we'll, we can start with my impatience. <laughs> we can start with my pride. And your fill in the gap. Because we all struggle with things. And what we're going to see at the end of this is 
that that battle that we just sang about, the battle's good. The battle's where we should be in this fallen world. We're not battling. That's where we need to be taken. And that's what we're going to see. That's what Paul is communicating to us here in Romans 1. Now, I will say, I have to back up. Hopefully this week you read through Romans chapter, uh, chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, because that is the, the foundation upon which we're launching in this morning, okay? So I'm going to back up a little bit. We're going to go through that and, and kind of get ourselves caught up. Um, but I can't spend a lot of time there. Some amazingly just great um, things in that 18 through 23. Um, but, but we have to remember the context that we're operating in, Okay? Right? We, we talked about this last week that, that uh, Paul's writing to the Roman church. There's a mix of Gentiles gr- slash Greeks, right? basically non-Jews, and, and there's Jews there, Jewish Christians, okay? people who were Jews who believed that the Messiah was Jesus, and now they're Christians. right? And so as Paul's writing this, what's he doing? He's trying to unite them. We talked about this. He's, he's trying to bring them under the umbrella of the gospel. And so where that starts is he says, here's the good news, but, but before I get to the good news, I have to tell you the bad news, right? He's like, you're all under sin. And that's what he's going to spend the first, all the way up, chapter 3, verse 20. Our problem is sin. Our problem is immorality. That's our problem. We are all victims of this. And it doesn't matter what you cloak it in. It doesn't matter whether you can hide it or not. Some you can hide very easily doesn't change it doesn't change the reality of what it is and so we read in chapter 1 verse 18 for the wrath of god is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth you have your bibles open under that underline that last line our unrighteousness suppresses the truth truth of what that god is the creator that god is our rescuer that that we exist because he created us for his kingdom for his purposes for his glory like that's the truth and so our immorality our unrighteousness my impatience my pride all the other ones that we could spend hours going through, what I struggle with, and I'm sure you guys can too, all of that stuff suppresses the truth about God. It distracts the world. It makes it as if it's not true. Now, this first part is clearly to the Gentiles, to the Greeks, to the people who, who didn't uh, believe in Yahweh, right? So you've got to put yourself back in this context, right? Here's Paul, uh, a Jew by birth, right? He's growing up and, and, and he's advancing in the Jewish life, right? And so he sees the Gentiles and the Greeks as purely debaucherous, purely reckless, right? All sensuality, all of these things. And it, and it was bad. And so this first part, Paul is levying towards the Greeks, the Gentiles, those who had become Christians, like, like this unrighteousness cannot continue. But in Romans chapter 2, verse 1, 
he starts flipping this thing and he goes to the Jews and he says, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. What's his point? He's, he's uniting them together in their immorality. We all have that in common, am I right? Like we, we want to all be united in Christ. We are all united in that we sin. That's just the reality of it. And this is what he's trying to Because the second you start standing somewhere in here and you go, I sin less than that person, or I don't sin, or I don't. You're, you're, not, you're not in this same purview that Paul is talking about. And this is what Paul is trying to explain. Everybody is unrighteous. Everybody is immoral. Are, we, are you with me? This is true, right? Anybody in here not? Because you're the Messiah if you're not. Okay. Nobody, no thing, is excluded from depravity. We saw this in Genesis chapter 3. This is what happened. And think back to what, and I'm not going to go through the verses, but go back and read the fall in Genesis 3. What happens? The earth produces thorns now. Because of what? <laughs> because of rebellion and sin? There's pain in childbirth. How, how did pain start happening? How, there's going to be broken relationships between the woman and the husband, or the, the man and the wife, right? Like, do you see how pervasive rebellion is? This isn't just a little thing of immorality and how you treat other people or what you do when nobody's looking that, that's not it. it depravity has covered everything everything and that's what we read in genesis chapter 3 and so what paul says is everyone's sin is characterized by this same depravity our sin is part of that Look at what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 22. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And go to verse 24. Therefore... God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. What do we do when we see the rebellion in our own lives? And the immorality in our lives. How do, we, how do we respond to that? What do you do when you realize that you're just impatient? What do you do when you realize that anger captures your life more than you, you thought? Whether that's a friend or a spouse or a kid that opens your eyes to that. What do you do when you realize that you have an addiction? Do you repent? Or 
you turn to idolatry. Those, those are our choices. We choose idolatry. That's what we do. How do you feel better about yourself? If, if God is saying this is wrong and this is right, and you're over here, and you go, well, I don't want to be wrong. Nobody wants to be wrong. Well, I can fix that. I'm going to define my own truth. Then I'm right. <laughs> that worked out really well. You see, this is the fundamental truth that Paul is getting at here. Our immorality, like when we're, when we're aware of that, we can choose repentance. We can say, God, you are right. We can say, Scripture defines my life. God is my authority. And therefore, my life falls under his judgment, his rule, his reign. Or I can say, you know what? That doesn't really work out well for me. I'm going to worship a different God. Don't think of this as a little figurine or a shrine in your house. Maybe it's a shrine. It doesn't look like what you think it looks like. You see, our idolatry is us worshiping ourselves. That's what it is. That's what we worship. We shift from worshiping God, who we know, and we're going to see this, who we know is God, and we go, you know what? I'm going to worship myself. I'm going to define my own truth. And then I don't have to repent. This is the foundation of the gospel. So I, has anybody bought a piece of clothing that they didn't like, didn't fit right, scratchy or uncomfortable? I know um, my wife often will say something to the girls, like when they're, when they're shopping or whatever, like, if you don't really like it, don't buy it, because I don't want to buy something, and you're like, meh, and then you get home and it sits in the closet, right? This is the exchange if you go back through this, there, the word exchange, I mean, after this, go back and, and go circle every time it says exchange. We, we treat God like a, an itchy sweater. And we exchange him. We bring him home. We try him on. And we go, it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable at all. Or he's like a pair of shoes that we got to fit into and they just don't fit right. And that's going to give me blisters. My foot is confined. So what do we do? We take him back. We take him back and we exchange God. We say, I want something that's a little smoother, a little more comfortable, something that doesn't restrict me at all. This isn't a judgment on anybody's clothing choices, okay? You guys get that. This is what we do. This is the exchange. We exchange him because we just don't like it. And we go, you know what? We're going to push him off to the side. We're going to put something in that's better, that's smoother, that's easier, that's less restrictive. And so we become the object of our worship because you know what? If we don't like what we're doing, 
well, then we could change it. But if we like what we're doing, well, then we could just keep doing it. And we're good at this. We're good at this. We make excuses for ourselves. You guys with me that the world is falling, right? It's, everything's jacked up. We have a sinful nature. We're jacked up. Other people have sinful natures. I, I weed my yard all the time, right? Like there's all sorts of things that we see that are reminders of how jacked up things are. How do we interpret that in our lives? I could say, well, my Enneagram is this. It's not my fault I'm impatient. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. I can say, well, I've, done, I've taken a personality test, and this is just who I am. Well, that's wrong. Not the test. You're wrong. That's not Godlike. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have these individual characteristics, right? We're not all the same, clearly. But that doesn't make us all right. We reflect Christ. That's our goal. That's our aim. That's our objective is to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. And so that's our rule stick. That's our measurement. That's who we go to. That's who we try to reflect and represent. And so if there's any bit in your Enneagram or your horoscope or whatever that you go, well, that's kind of why I'm like that. Well, does God want you like that? Not, it's not an excuse. And so, this goes th for everything. We have sinful natures. We live in a fallen world. There's sickness, isn't there? There's cancer. There's people born with autism and Down syndrome and all sorts of things and ADHD and, right, like, like there's all sorts of stuff. What do we do? What do we do with that? We go, it's a fallen world. But it's okay. It's okay. We're not lost. There's good news. You see, idolatry happens when we stop thinking that all of these things are indicators of our fallen world, and we start to try to rationalize their existence and say this is part of God's plan. That's idolatry. God wants me to be impatient. That sounds stupid, doesn't it? Right? So here's this idolatry that we have. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 24. At the very beginning, it says, Therefore, because of this exchange, you know, often we talk about this, the great exchange, right? Where, where Christ gives us his righteousness, and we give him our sins. <laughs> And we go, this is an amazing exchange. We do the opposite. Idolatry is the opposite of that. It's a horrible exchange. We say, you're God, and we're going to exchange you for something else. Thank you. And so what does God do in response to that? Therefore, God gave them up. He says it in verse 24. He says it in verse 26. He says it in verse 28. Clearly, Paul is making a point here. God gave them up. That expression, paradidomai. It's, it's, it's an expression here. 
And it's always used in terms of legal judgment. When, when the disciples are going around in Acts and they're going to be handed over or given up to the authorities or given up to trial, it's always the same. It's legal. It's a just legal decision. God gives them up. God gives us up. Doesn't mean abandon, okay? It does not. Yeah, that's, that's important. It means this is the legal determination. So you have committed idolatry. You have taken God. You've re- re- replaced him with yourself. And the judgment of that, the wrath of God, is that he's going to give you up. So what happens? God gives us up. God God allows us to be judged by our own natural consequences. He goes, you want to worship yourself? Worship yourself. That's our judgment. Immorality is our judgment, guys. The fact that we have immorality in our lives, and we all know like the depth and despair and the frustration of immorality, right, and our sin, and like we, we don't like it, right? Like, like we like it, but, but then, I mean, some things we like, and then we don't like it. Like, I hate my impatience, and I should just stop, shouldn't I? I'm just going to stop today. Why, why can't I? Why can't you? You see? And so this, this creates in us this desperate problem of immorality and increasing immorality. And what Paul is saying here is that idolatry leads to immorality. Just anchor on that for a second. Idolatry leads to immorality. Exchanging God for created things. Worshiping yourself instead of worshiping God. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie. That's idolatry. And guess what happens when you commit idolatry? You will commit immorality in increasing measure. Why? Well, because you want smooth clothes. And when you want smooth clothes, you want smooth lives. And we become self-indulgent. We worship ourselves. Well, then what don't we give ourselves? <laughs> it makes sense, doesn't it? It's a natural consequence. God goes, you, you want to worship yourself? That's fine. Go, worship yourself. And immorality increases and increases. And so this you guys, like, this, this hit me like a ton of bricks, rocks. I don't know what I don't want to say. But this, this hit me hard this week. Because that's the problem with how we try to solve things as Christians. We go, we need to, let's make immorality illegal. Okay, good. <laughs> what are we doing? Or let's judge other people because of their immorality. Go to Romans chapter 2, verse 1. What are we doing? No. It's idolatry. Kill the root. Kill the idolatry. Worship God. Direct your attention towards God. Now, does that mean that we're going to be moral after that? Certainly not. We'll get to that here in a bit. But idolatry is the problem. Look what it says in verse 
26. Actually, before I jump in. So Paul is making this statement. He's, he's making this throughout chapter 1. Idolatry leads to immorality. They gave up God. Or they, they exchanged God, God gave them up. They exchanged God, God gave them up. Idolatry leads to immorality. That is Paul's premise. And so when we get into verses 26 and 27, he is establishing, he is proving his point that all Jews and all Gentiles are under sin. Look what it says in verse 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Exchanged. This is important. There's a continuity of thought going on here. And the men likewise gave up, underline that, natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves the due penalty for their errors. This is homosexuality. We'll get into it in a second. But we cannot miss this in the context of what Paul is describing here. He is not setting up homosexuality as some sin beyond all sins. He doesn't list this one out first. He's listing it out because our natural relationship with God is what? We should worship God. That's our natural relationship. And we've exchanged it. And what's the natural relationship in Genesis 1 and 2? A husband and a wife. A man and a woman. And we've exchanged it. Man for a woman and a woman for a man. This is what he's saying. This is the proof. This is what he goes to to show, let me show you an evidence that we play this game of idolatry and immorality. And idol uh, Sorry, idolatry and immorality. We play this game. He goes, look, you can see it. You see it before your own eyes. That's his point here. In fact... Homosexuality here is actually a supporting argument for his bigger argument, which is that idolatry causes immorality. That's his point. So don't, don't miss this. Because so often we go to this and we just pull these two verses out and we're like, hey, let's just talk about this. That, no, that, that's, not, that's not how we interpret Scripture. That's not how we read Scripture. We have to read it in the context in which Paul is communicating it. It's fundamental. It's like the first rule that you learn of exposition. You've got to take the context. You've got to know where he's come from and where he's going. And where is he going? To show that everybody is doing this. And this is one example of it. And so that's why he uses the words exchanged and gave up. He's connecting these thoughts. Okay? Now Paul's going to move on. In verse 28, clearly he goes through a huge list of sins. A huge list of lifestyles, a huge list of faults. It's not intended to be comprehensive. It is pretty exhaustive. I think we can all find something in there. Or more than one thing. Right? And so we can't just look at this. We, I mean, it was a tough thing where I go, why does he bring 26 and 27 out in front? Why does he bring homosexuality out in front of this and the rest of these things? And that's why, because of the continuity of his thoughts. So let, let us not think that that is a more grievous sin or different than my impatience. 
or my pride or yours or your anger. It's no different, okay? All right. Let me talk briefly for the sake of Paul's entire context. I want to touch on this. How do we understand homosexuality biblically? This is difficult. And I know it's very difficult for many of you in this room. And it's difficult for me. And frankly, it should be difficult for all of us. Because there are people that we all know that are homosexual. There's people in here that might think that they're homosexual or might be homosexual. What do we do with that? We cannot be cold and callous towards them, guys. That's not an option. It's not a biblical response. Any more than you cast off anybody in here that has had sex out of wedlock or committed adultery or lied or shown anger? Are you, are you writing everybody else off? We don't have this option. So what do we do with these verses? You see, Paul's not making an argument for homosexuality being a sin here. He just assumes it. He uses it as a supporting argument for his larger argument, that it's idolatry causes immorality. But that doesn't mean that there isn't a truth in that, right? And many people have gone in and, and dug into these verses and go, how do we understand this? And if you pull it out of the context, the, people will try to figure this out. And there's, there's a few things, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them. And by all means, there's the question cards over there. I'm fully ready. And honestly, but I, I again, I, I hope, and I, most of you know me in here well, I hope you know my heart in this, because this is fundamental. This is why listening to some talking heads, whatever, about random things, it's not pastoral. I love each one of you, and I care for you, and I know that you have relationships and circumstances, and you're battling with your own stuff. And so this can't be flippant. So how do people understand this, or what do they look at? First, let me, let me point out one thing. Paul starts with women. Weird. <laughs> that was not very public. The men, yes, in, in Greek society. But the women, in fact, half of the translations, there's, there's actually a word in the Greek there, and, and some of them use the word even the women exchanged natural relations for unnatural. It's as if Paul's going, this idolatry and this idea that we exchange God for ourselves is so pervasive, it's even affecting our ladies. That's, that's the thrust, I think, of the argument there. And so he starts off with that. People will argue, what does that mean by natural relations? Okay? And, and, and it, it is the phrase contrary to nature was actually used by, I didn't actually fully look this up, but I think it was Plato. Um, but there, it was a common expression of um, 
communicating homosexuality, contrary to nature, like that, that ex Greek expression. You can go look it up. But many people will say, no, 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 the, the natural relations for unnatural ones is that you're not living out who you are. That if you're homosexual and you're pretending to be heterosexual, that's a bad thing. And if you're heterosexual, you're pretending to be homosexual, that's a bad thing. That's what Paul's condemning. It does not fit in the context of what Paul is saying at all. In fact, it's the exact opposite of that. He's saying you don't define right or wrong. Your feelings don't define it. Your DNA doesn't define it. Your hormones don't define it. Your upbringing doesn't define it. God defines it. If we defined it, then I would declare that impatience was a virtue. But wouldn't we? I would say that there's nothing really wrong with pornography because it's not hurting anybody. We could say, what's wrong with adultery? The animal kingdom has many mates. You see how this changes things? And so it, it can't be that. Because that would be completely opposite of what Paul's been saying all through chapter 1. Do you see? Like, this is why the context is so important. It's, it's, not, that, it's not that you couldn't, like, go in and, and take a scalpel and take that natural and, and do different things with that Greek word. You, you can, but you, but you miss the context. You miss the context of what's happening here. And then people will argue men committing shameless acts. They'll say, that's not a monogamous homosexual relationship. That's the, the shameless acts here are um, promiscuity inside of a homosexual relationship. Or it's, it's uh, and I don't even know what the word is, but it's, it's like men with young boys. Like that's, that's what he's condemning. But obviously the latter one doesn't work because it talks about women. So is, it, is, it, is, he, is he condemning the rape of other men, that doesn't fit in the context either, right? Paul's not trying to pick out specific sins here. He's trying to show what exchanging the truth of God for a lie looks like. And, and trust me, there's a lot of verses and there's lots of things that we can talk about, but when you read this on the face of this, in the context, it seems very clear that, that he's talking about us idolatry leading to immorality and homosexuality being evidence of that exact problem in our lives. Idolatry leading to immorality. But it's not the only problem. It is just a very visible problem that we can see. So how we deal with our fallenness matters. That's what we said, right? Instead of choosing repentance, we choose idolatry. How we deal with the fallen world matters. Does it create in us a desire for all of this, all of these things to be gone and these struggles and these aberrant desires and all these different things to be gone and, and we, we, we want it to be right and we want our relationship with God to be right? If so, then, then good, good. But if we exchange God out and we go, he's too uncomfortable, there's no end to that. And there's no end to the immorality that will continue in our lives. 
Look what he says in verse 28. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. I'm sorry. Verse 28. (laughs) And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They were full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. A debased mind. So, so far, he's, he's given us up, and what's resulted? The lust of our hearts. And he gave us up to what? Dishonorable passions. And he gave us up. What happened? Debased mind. Our heart, our feelings, our minds. There is no part of our existence that is not touched by sin. Even your rational intellect is jacked up by sin. A debased mind. This is what he describes here. And look at what it says in verse 32, the very first part of this. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they know it. We know it. We know what's right and we know what's wrong. And we know that if God is God and he's clearly communicated what is right and what is wrong and he's clearly communicated the results of covetousness and impatience and anger and and envy and deceit and disobedience to parents. We'll just emphasize that one. (laughs) All of those things lead to death. Eternal separation from God. This is what Paul is starting with. This is where he's starting his discussion of the gospel. He's bringing all the Greeks, all the Gentiles, all the Jews together going, you're all jacked up. You're all in need of a savior. You're all sinners. You're all unrighteous. All of you are. All of us are. This is a good place for us to start. Trust me. As we get into this, this is where we must start. Because if you don't need a savior, you don't need to be here. If you don't think you need a savior, you really need to be here. Come, join the rest of the sinners. Because this is what he's describing. So what do we do? do If idolatry leads to immorality, and we have this debased mind, we can't even, how do we get ourselves out of this? We can't think rightly. We can't feel rightly. We have the wrong passions. What do we do? Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay. So that's, that's, our, that's our end state. Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, 
nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, which are partiers, by the way, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. When Paul's writing this to the Corinthian church, he goes, so are you guys. So are we. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's how we become righteous. We don't stop doing immoral things to become righteous. God gives us righteousness through his son, Jesus Christ. It's the Holy Spirit's power in us that takes this gross fruit of immorality in our lives and turns it into the fruit of the Spirit. This is God that does this. This is his saving work. So what do we do? Do we just go, well, we just got to... We just got to stop all the immorality. Let's put some band-aids on these things. There's a lot of moral people that are going to hell. There are a lot of moral people that are going to hell. And there are a lot of people who have been sanctified. Who are going to heaven. But are going to struggle their entire life. They're going to struggle their entire life. Lives. We are going to struggle our entire life. Some of you may have struggled your entire life, but if you're not struggling, you're not saved. Do you get this? The struggle isn't the bad thing. The bad thing is not struggling. And so, Wells and I were talking about this for a while yesterday. I'm like, When we trust in Christ, God may give us the strength to overcome addiction, to overcome the struggles in our lives, impatience and anger, and you name it. Or he may not. That doesn't say anything about whether you're saved. Why aren't we just a bunch of moral people in here? We should be by this time, at least the old people in here. You old people, why are you still sinning? Do you see? It's heart change. It's God that does this. And we may, we may overcome these things in our lives. Or we may struggle with them our entire lives. That has no bearing whatsoever on the justice or righteousness or holiness or mercy of God. None whatsoever. And so your friends that are believers that are struggling with sin, our job is to remind them of the gospel every day. Remind them that Christ died for them. Remind them to pursue righteousness. 
but remind them that when they fall, God still loves them. It's not an excuse, you guys. We don't have the ability to play a neutral card here and say, well, we're just going to excuse immorality. That's not what I'm saying here. This is the fine line. This is why this is so extremely difficult. And frankly, this is why a one-way conversation isn't the best way to communicate this, frankly. But if we're pursuing morality for the sake of morality, or if we make immorality illegal, we are simply putting a band-aid on a sinking ship. Worship God. Go to God. Trust in God. Remove the idolatry. Stop worshiping yourself. Stop giving yourself excuses. Worship God and allow his power to give you the strength to either conquer your sin or the strength to endure it. He will give you one of those. I promise you. His word says that that is true. Paul's climactic argument in this. It's, it's not homosexuality as like the sin beyond all sins. It's not even that all of these sins are so bad. Look at what his climactic argument is in verse 32. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Approval. This is what Paul says. This is what God's word says is actually worse than the sin itself. Approving of the sin. Saying to somebody that you love, it's okay for you to sin like that. Last week, I think I used a really good metaphor about being stuck in a maze, right? I said that if you don't tell them the gospel, they hate it. Paul's making the same conclusion here. If you're approving of them because you don't like conflict, because you don't want to have a tough conversation, because society doesn't make it appropriate for you to make this argument or to say this, that's just as bad, if not worse, in God's eyes. So what do we do? Do we feel trapped? I do. I do. There's people I love desperately that struggle with sin. All, well, I mean, everybody I love struggles with sin. <laughs> but there's people I love that struggle with homosexuality too. So what do we do? We point them to God. I stand up here and I preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that God will give us strength to conquer our sin or strength to endure it. But he doesn't give us license of idolatry. He doesn't want us to pick idolatry. He wants us to pick repentance. He wants us to come under his authority. But in that is joy and contentment and peace. Now, how you go about conquering sin in your life, frankly, that's the job of a counselor. That's the job of professionals. There are people that have gone through training and are equipped our goal is to fix the idolatry problem. 
come to God. Hear the gospel. This is why we go, come. Come, hear the gospel. It doesn't matter who you are. We just established in Romans chapter 1, Paul goes, the gospel, the power of the gospel is for everyone who believes. Everyone, no matter where you're at, what sin you're in, the gospel is for everyone. There is nobody in here that God's like, nah, I don't want them to hear the gospel. That's not how it works. And so if we're sitting here, let's, let's talk about morality. Let's talk about how we fix things. Let's talk about how we can fit into society better. God's not concerned with that. He's concerned with our worship. Are we worshiping ourselves? Or are we worshiping God? Let me conclude with one closing observation here. We, as followers of Christ, have done a very poor job with this. Homosexuality in particular, but all sexuality. And we've, we've said that the people that fit into our little box of Christian have it figured out. And those, those who can't seem to, to homogenize in with the rest of us, those who are astray just don't work. It's not, it's not right. And so we go, and we spend more time trying to get the world to conform to our little party, our little grouping, than we are concerned with the salvation of their souls. There are many people that struggle and will always struggle. And that's okay. They need to hear the hope of the gospel. And we need to be about the gospel and not morality. The morality will fix itself. It won't fix itself. God will fix the morality. He will change our hearts. He will change our affections. That's sanctification. That's later on in Romans. We'll talk about it. With increasing measure in our lives, got to kill the root so let me encourage all of us to go where do i worship myself where is it off limits for god to be scratchy or itchy where do i where do i like him to not be because that's where we are in idolatry and that's where paul says we all fall down 